my girlfriend is a, is a northern lass and she constantly teases me for being a posh softy southerner um and around the corner from our house is a croquet lawn and uh i keep teasing her that i'm going to join the croquet club when lockdown's over and she thinks she thinks that's the uh, the uh, uh the epitome of my softy southernness so for christmas i've bought her a croquet set and <laughs> <laughs> but but I've bought several croquet sets and sent them back and so on because it's not quite right. Do you know what I mean? And like so again, like where are the how do you measure that journey? Like, mm. you know, how do you measure that, you know, if we hadn't if I hadn't had this silly conversation with my partner about croquet, if we hadn't moved to a house where there's a croquet lawn around the corner, if like if all of these things that led to me buying two croquet sets off Amazon, like how do you measure that? You know, there was, you know, there isn't some kind of like thought leader on Amazon talking about the qualities of the croquet lifestyle or something. And then I've suddenly like subscribed <laughs> to their newsletter and then like engaged with three of their retargeting adverts and then bought two croquet sets. Like, it's not how it happened. Like, there's a whole conversation that's gone on completely outside of the view and control of the seller of the product. Chris O'Hare, your Quick Win CEO, and as a CEO, I've run businesses, founded startups, consulted for others, and even won awards. But in this show, we'll be talking to entrepreneurs and experts to help you understand key concepts for your business, along with three quick wins that you can take away and apply to your business today. And every week, we'll be finding out about the entrepreneur themselves and diving into a different but important topic. But it's competition time at the moment. I'm giving away 10 of my favorite business books, including Lean Startup and Business Model Generation to one lucky winner. And these are great for all levels of skill from CEO to a founder. To enter, all you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, scroll to the bottom and leave a review. It doesn't have to be detailed. You can just say that you love this podcast. Then email quickwinceo at hair.digital to say that you've entered. And in this show, we'll be talking to Toby Moore, an expert content strategist. Toby runs a local group called Content Club. He's a director of TEDx Brighton, and he's just released a new software app to save time creating content using AI, and that's called Posterworks. You'll get to hear what makes Toby get out of bed in the morning, how his priority has shifted to purpose-led objectives, along with some incredible insights into why content is important beyond SEO and how you can get started with your own content strategy. So here we go, Toby Moore. Thanks for coming on the show, uh, Toby. Um, so first, tell me the, the the last thing that you read or watched that kind of left an impression on you. So it could be a Netflix series, a funny video or a book that you read. Uh, I'm making my way through, uh, well, three books at the moment, but I've given up on one of them finished another and uh and and they're halfway through yet another and they're all around accidentally i think all around kind of like the betterment of humankind and moving beyond capitalism and such so the first was uh change everything by someone whose name i've forgotten already uh, another one called this could be our future by uh yancy strickler who's the founder or co-founder of kickstarter uh, and then the one that I'm now halfway through, and it's a mammoth of a book, is Humankind by 
uh, oh my god, I've forgotten his name. Um, uh, something Virgo, the chap that uh, was famous for causing a stir at Davos a few years ago. Um, and it's it's uh, it's fantastic. It's so good. The Change Everything book I gave up on because it's, it's interesting because they're all proposing the same potential sort of post-capitalism type future that we could all live in and how we can all love each other more and still be happy and make money and so on. Um, but one was just ludicrous and just full of stupid examples that was overly academic. And next was just the, the Jan, Yancy Strickler one, the Kickstarter guy, it was just beautifully written and I loved every minute of it. And the Humankind book, I'm trying my best to, to stick with it. No, not stick with it. It's a great book. It's really well written, but it's like five times longer than any other book that I've ever read. So. <laughs> but I'm totally bought into this new way of life now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try my absolute best to, to save the planet with um, whatever the hell it is I'm supposed to be doing. There must have been a trigger for this. I mean, what, what is it that's made you, you know, there must have been oh, something. Oh, yeah, there is. <laughs> okay. I think uh, I think when I first started out my little entrepreneurial journey, I was well into this stuff. And then when you start getting stuck in and you have to sort of deal with the realities of actually, you know, keeping clients and growing a business and looking after staff and paying freelancers and all of this sort of stuff, you can get so lost. And everyone's always like, you know, get, you know, get, focus on this or narrow your niche and laser in on that and you're like and you're sort of zooming in on stuff and for me it was all around content and kind of like trying to make better and better content and be more efficient and more effective in the way you make content and I think I realized particularly at the sort of uh, the sort of nose end of lockdown and COVID that like that was just it was too too small uh, it's not a big about the bigger to... the bigger picture the, yeah the world. And, and this is stuff that I have cared about deeply in the past and lost my thumb on it if you know what I mean um, over the last maybe three or four years of getting sucked into a very kind of niche way of working so uh, like a lot of people uh, with COVID and lockdown and so on you know it's been fine but it's been radically different you know um, there's it's I've easily survived but I've just had to do very different things and with that you sort of get thrown into like well what other things can I think about and do differently mm -hmm. um and that's definitely one and getting back to the books that I first read that got me into not wanting to do what everybody told me to do anymore and all that sort of thing and then getting back into those and then seeing okay well how far has the world come in five or six years or even more than that now actually like and and there are good books out there and I've been reading them <laughs> so and there you go that's kind of I guess that's the point that's the twist and turning point for me in that respect so something I heard um this year more and more is about mission-led companies and the power that they can have within a company and the power outside of the company as well right and I've always thought to lead a company as one person but actually or uh, the co-founders basically the founders and when I started to really dive into mission-led companies, what really inspired me about those was that the mission was the leader. And actually all you were doing was supporting this, this ideal. Mm. And I love that. And yeah. I've been thinking about that 
ever since I kind of really struck a chord with me because I've heard about it for a while, but I've never actually felt that it was something I could do or, or actually, you know, all I want to do is make money. And I do want to make money, but I want to do it with a reason that, you know, makes the world a better place, but also allows me to fulfill my destiny as, a, as an entrepreneur, right? And if it feels, fulfills my destiny as an entrepreneur, then it means I got all this spare time that I can do other things with. So you kind of struck a chord with me there when, when you were telling me about <laughs> all that. Um, saying that, though, I haven't read any books about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can recommend you one or two. Okay. So definitely need to, um, I think, spend some more time on that. And in, uh, in terms of looking at what I'm doing. And I think this is what this podcast is all about, to be honest. It's about spreading awareness of technology um, to people that just may not really understand what it is and, and how it can affect them. Anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your business and let's kind of understand what it is you do on a day-to-day basis. That's a, my day-to-day basis is a difficult one because I'm one of those annoying people that just wears way too many hats that and they have a wardrobe fit to store in. So, um, But most of the time I'm working on Content Club, which is my consultancy um, and community, uh, which is all around helping people create better content and feel more powerful as content creators and so on. Um, what I've also been working on for the last seven eight years now is TEDx Brighton um, and uh, I would this is the first year that we've never that we've not done it um, which on one hand has been quite nice <laughs> having a year off um, but I'm definitely keen to get back on that again and start start making sure that we can come back and deliver a really great TEDx event in Brighton the next year um, and then I work with a couple of charities as well so my partner runs a refugee charity called the Hummingbird Project so I work on that Sort of, sort of a day a week ish, um, delivering this youth leadership program that we've put together, and I'm a trustee for the Brighton Youth Centre, and then finally, which is the thing that probably you're excited about, maybe, hopefully, is mm-hmm. uh, Posterworks, which is uh, which is the SaaS company that I started over lockdown, um, which is all around repurposing content, automating the way that we create content, that sort of thing. That's me in a relatively large nutshell. <laughs> I mean, you sound like a busy guy. How do you fit it all in? And you got you got a little one as well, haven't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've got a, a coming up to two year old daughter, and she's uh, she's been keeping me more than busy over the last few weeks and months as well. So right. uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and lockdown. <laughs> Can't imagine. Yeah, what God, that's juggling like. parenting and work over lockdown has been the the challenge uh, yeah. of the year for sure. Um, I know I'm not alone in it. So. Um, but uh, it's it's uh, that's where the, that's where the best stories will come from. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine, and um, and obviously we've seen a lot of people on Zoom with their kids, and actually I think that's what that's done. It's normalised, you know, businessmen or people with businesses and made them actually look like a family person, right? Mm, that's that's mm. the thing. It's bringing the family, uh, the the softer side of people, right? And I, I, I think that's so. really important. I hope it stays, you know, um, but you see all these big high flying executives and they, you know, they, they have the family uh, run in on them on, on a zoom call. And I think, I think that's a, it's a nice touch. 
Um, fortunately, it required a catalyst like COVID to get us there. Do you remember right? that? Do you remember that thing? It was the, the on the BBC a couple of years ago. It was the guy. Uh, yeah, I saw some um, attaché out in China or something, yeah. and then like his kids all run in with the with the toddler walker and stuff, and then the yeah. wife runs in like scrabbling on the floor, pulling them out. And you sort of think if that happened like now, like everyone would just sort of have a jolly old time about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's cool. I remember we did, uh, as a part of um, the Hummingbird Project, we did an event with um, uh, the International Rescue Committee. So um, I got to be on a Zoom call with David Miliband. And and it was just, it's just so weird, like looking inside these people that are, like in your mind or your world, they're just kind of up there. Mm. And then they are just sitting in their attic room, like on Zoom with you. <laughs> and you it's a funny old thing that yeah it is it's a it's a i always say zoom is like a great leveler right it's um it's that thing that you know you can see people's hidden worlds now right the, mm. the, the houses and where they live and actually we're all the same behind a screen but do you know what? i've actually come to hate it because of that as well because um i mean one of the I, i'm in my office now and i took i took on an office probably September, October time. And one of the big drivers behind it was because I was so tired of inviting people into my house. You know, particularly when I was doing like, I've, I've kind of stopped doing only, well, I didn't do many at all, but like with Content Club, you know, back in real life, you know, a year or so ago, I was doing three or four events a month, you know, in real life, in co working spaces, in event spaces, and pubs mm. and stuff. Um, whereas now I've probably done like, five events tops throughout lockdown because I just didn't enjoy it I don't mind going to other people's and turning up and doing stuff like this but like hosting something and inviting 20 30 40 50 people like into your house do you know what I mean and like particularly in the early days of lockdown where my partner and I were separating out like our our house so like our bedroom was our office and then I'm like I don't really want these people coming into my bedroom mm, <laughs> do you know what mm, I mean mm. and eventually I just got so yeah I, I I that's one of my things that I've become most tired of is, is inviting the general public into my home uh, so maybe not so much a leveler in my uh, in my book but well, zoom, zoom fatigue is definitely a thing um so I think you can always have too much of a of a good thing and too much of of any one thing right so I mean I have an office um, but I split my time between home and my office and, and that gives me change of scenery that I really mm. value. Um, and you don't, it's not, it doesn't become this monotonous grind every day of just working um, mm. in the same place, in the same location. Um, I'll ask you a personal question about lockdown. How have you been getting on with your hair? Because <laughs> I've really struggled. So during lockdown, it was a bit mad. Um, but the day of lockdown, just the day before, I, I got a haircut and I got it as short as I possibly could. So I was golden for like three months. <laughs> I hate having short hair. And like I, I cut my own hair. I've been cutting my own hair now and I did it again a couple of nights ago. And I, it looks so terrible. I'm so fed up with it. And uh, I've just not been brave enough to go to the hairdressers. I don't know why. I don't know why. Normally, because I usually book my haircut like a month in advance. At the moment, it's hard to do anything more than about four hours in advance, just in case Boris comes out and announces that you can't go to yeah. Tesco's whilst you're on the way to Tesco's or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, 
but yeah anyway i won't i won't trouble you with that question any further oh, no. you're much more in control of the situation oh, I, I did the same again so when lockdown was about to hit again i went the day before <laughs> so uh, I, I was golden again then so um I, I can't help myself. I, I just feel like um, looking at myself on Zoom day in, day out, you become way more self-conscious. I've even turned off on some days the, the uh, you can go hide self view on uh, on Zoom. And I think it's really, really important for your mental health. Because <laughs> um, you don't think about it. You don't you don't look in the mirror every day at work. Right. That, but that's mm. essentially what we're doing now. Um, and and they've seen that. You know, cosmetic surgeries had a, a rise massively because of Zoom calls. Goodness. So it just shows you. Yeah, there's some there's some data. <laughs> yeah, that's a podcast in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, let's let's talk about poster works, right? Let's sure. let's talk about um, what that does. What is it? Uh, at the moment, well, I'll tell you what it was, and then I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll okay. tell you what it might be. <laughs> In the future, <laughs> I'm looking it forward start, to this. Well, it started out as an e-commerce platform, uh, would you believe? And um, basically, what I was struggling to work—a problem that I was struggling to solve for the content club community, which are all solo e-business owners, freelancers, that sort of thing—is that they were increasingly trying to work out how to repurpose content. Um, and for ages, I was thinking, how could I build in a repurposing content service into content club but at the same time like that just doesn't fit into the range of services that it offers because content club is kind of like free for most people and then there's just like a sort of creamy set of businesses at the top that that, that, that pay top dollar for for whatever the hell it is that they want me to do and um and that didn't really fit in to the pricing structures and so on of things that i did with content club so i decided to try and figure out how to sort of platformatize that and i built a, an online shop basically where you would you would upload your blog post and then you'd go to an online shop and you would select like three instagram posts three facebook posts five linkedin posts or something and then it had it all up and just give you a little price and put on like a check like, you know, in the shopping basket and you put your credit card detail in and it flings the order off like on fiverr or something um and then uh and then yeah five days later me and some merry freelancers would turn your order around and send it back um and i encountered two problems whilst building that problem number one is that people didn't want to pay before they saw their content they wanted to see the content and then pay oh. uh, and the second problem was is i still <laughs> i didn't actually want to do the work um, <laughs> i didn't actually want to fulfill people's orders um, it was still not solving that same problem so i then set about um uh, working with the developer to create a tool for myself to make that faster so um, I found a developer and we started working on this little platform that basically allowed me that when someone submitted an order I would then put their blog post that they had sent over into this tool and it would chop out all of the all of the kind of uh, salient bits of copy from the blog post and I showed that to a couple of people and just like hey look at this thing that I built and they're like that's amazing that's so much better than the other thing that you were doing <laughs> Like, can I just pay like 10 quid a month or something to access this? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then, <laughs> so then I went down that route and then just started, and then just started productizing that. Um, and within a month or two, I'd managed to, 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 yeah, set up, set up that as a, as a SaaS tool uh, and on board, on board the first few customers and just been 
continually improving the feature set within that toolbox uh, and trying to bring in more and new customers as we go. And uh, it sort of brought me back to an objective that I had a couple of years ago, which was basically to build a platform that that automates the the creation of content. Uh, so now I'm aiming into the sky and have cooked up a wide range of bits and bobs that um, that should or could be built over the next few years in order to turn it into a proper, probably agency-led platform that allows people to leverage pre-built content strategies and then automated workflows that allows you to decide how much of your content a human will create and how much of it a robot will create based on those templates and things. And that's the thing. Uh, that's where we are. But if anybody wants to use it right now, you can. It's £17 a month. <laughs> and you can turn blog posts into buckets of social media content at the click of a button. That is the sales pitch anyway. Um, yes, there you go. Sounds Makes nice. sense. Sound cool? Yeah. I, I think it's perfect. I think it's exactly what people need. In fact, I was talking to someone today needing something similar. So maybe I'll pass you on that lead. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'll give you £17 for it. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I, I can get a few and drinks spend it all that. at once. Yeah. <laughs> £17 is how much my favourite bottle of wine costs in Marks and Spencers as well. And that was basically my pricing strategy. So that right. every time I get a new customer, I can go out and spend that first that first month's revenue on that bottle of wine. <laughs> right. Not reinvesting in the business then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. I, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting that you uh, paid a developer to do this. So how are you funding that? Are you bootstrapping? Just, re, just using services revenue at the moment to okay. funnel back into the product. Um, in my previous business, I did have a co-founder who was, who was the CTO and, uh, and lead developer on the product we were building back then. Um, and, uh, I don't know, the world's changed since then, you know, we started that business like four or five years ago and, um, and back then, like having a CTO co-founder was kind of the thing that you had to do in order to move this stuff forward. And, um, a lot of the, the, the culture and the temperature and the guidance and stuff around that has changed now. And I'm finding that. Um, you know, it, particularly if you want to get something off the ground, you know, you've just got to build something small and you've got to build it fast um, and you've got to work out how to how to meet the most basic need of the audience that you want to serve. Uh, and you don't need, you know, I was paying a full time salary to someone, do you know what I mean, for a, for a, for a, for a project that was only costing money and not making any money um, because it was the software. It was, you know, we were early stage SaaS company but all of the money came from services and services revenue and all the money got spent on building software um whereas now like i'm spending hundreds of pounds a month rather than thousands of pounds a month you know what i mean uh and still able to have a have a product out there to be bringing on customers and learning about them you know and having a really basic product you know um allows you to to you know focus on the customers more because you've actually got less to less to look after um, so in theory you can spend more time working with with your customers and working out what to build next and that was always the problem that I had in my previous situation of trying to do this stuff was just build 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 all the time you no know, back end front end you know 
how much you know how much you know testing can we build into everything that we're doing like how do we make sure that our you know that we're running on the right kubernetes setup and all that sort of stuff and then like and then you suddenly realize that a few years on that you know you still haven't launched the product and <laughs> you're so mm. busy building all of that stuff that you forgot about you know customers and and stuff so this time i've tried to really learn from that lesson and just do the most basic thing that i can to get a product out there and get customers on it and then worry about all of that stuff when when uh when i come to it yeah i completely agree and the mvp essentially is what you have and i i learned my lesson with that as well coming from a software background you know it's very easy to shove more features into something than actually learn what the problem's trying to what the the customer wants and the problem you're trying to solve right Mm. and that's something that I'm doing, you know, with my clients today is help really helping them to to really understand what that problem is and go through all the different layers of working out what that problem is. But the, mm. the idea that you have an MVP and then you basically learn from that MVP um, and you can take that even, you know, further back. So another one of my uh, podcasts is basically about prototyping and we look at the different ways of prototyping. So you don't necessarily have to have um, a, a working prototype for mm. it to to actually well that was it because uh, that was you know for me like the prototype was the e-commerce product and that that told me that people wanted that service but they just mm. didn't want to buy it in that way um so now so that gave me the information that i know and i built that in a day you know it's an online mm. shop it's not difficult um uh so then the next stage was like okay well how do i provide the same service but change the way that people can buy it um and that's kind of like that then what spurred me on to do the next step and then the next step and the next step and and i think really something that i've learned that i think is invaluable and others i hope can learn from too in in, in terms of approaching the prototyping and mvp is i haven't started from what i would consider the beginning of the product i've started from looking at all of the things that i would like to build and then going, that is a killer feature that doesn't exist yet. Like, how can I build that in isolation? So, yeah, you know, I want to build this whole platform that takes you from the beginning of planning your content, ideating content, researching your audience, all the way through to delivering that as an automated campaign, etc. If I'd started at the beginning there, I would have just been building digital post-it notes or a Kanban board, do you know what I mean? Which exists already in the likes mm. of tools that we like to use for things like that. Um, whereas the whole idea of repurposing content, yeah, there's a couple of emerging players and stuff out there. This is quite expensive still, you know, because they're trying to leverage AI and all this sort of thing. Um, so how can we just like, how can we make that bait? And this is the sort of thing, and, and I'm just looking at what's my physical process for this? You know, how do I do this as a, as a person? And, you know, if I'm going to sit there and take a blog post apart, like manually, and then how can I just sort of like teach a bit of software to do that as quickly as as quickly as I can, even if it's only doing like fifty percent of the work or something like that. But that's still, you know, a few hours turned into a couple of seconds, and that's useful. Uh, and then as soon as I started looking at it like that, I was like, that's a killer feature. You know what I mean? Mm. And and now when I'm talking to investors and stuff, I'm like, we have a killer feature MVP, and that's the language I'm using. 
um, uh, whether that resonates yet, I'm uh, uncertain and uh, uh, yet to see. But it resonates with me. Like I get that, and like for me, that that's that's much more powerful than just sort of like yeah, I'm you know building a content planning tool, something like that, which would be the beginning of the journey if I was starting with mm. you know with the, the simplest thing that the tool does, rather than the coolest, most unique thing that the tool does. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense, and I, I love that the um, the audience will be able to kind of pick through your thinking process and 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 the way that you were going. Well, you know, if this is a problem, then how can we solve this? And you know, if if I was going to do this as a human, how would a robot do that? I think that's really good. And essentially, this is what people don't really understand. It's um, essentially AI is just a set of rules. Um, and then we just basically give them those rules and they go away and learn how to do things. And, mm. and essentially, essentially, they're just being a human, right? Because that's what we do. We'll go through and we'll work out, well, you know, how do I get to the end result by going through and setting rules and, and problem solving? So that was really good. I really appreciate that. Let's let's move on to uh, the, the kind of main topic of this podcast, which is content mm. creation, right? And you're yeah. an expert in content um you're the pro you're the man um and i'm going to go through some questions that i think can uh, really help our audience to, to understand why content is important and kind of all the mm. different varying things around that so first of all why is content important uh, what's more interesting is you tell me because you create your podcasts and you know and you've got your videos that you make and so on like but that's not your like skill you know what i mean like you're 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 in a different market and so on so why why are you using content to promote the thing that you do it's a really good point i mean for me it's about building um a community around technology and business but also translating that technology and giving people the 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 power to be able to make decisions when it comes to technology. Mm. There's a lot of people that I see are, are paralyzed. They, they, they see these different paths and all these different opportunities when it comes to, to technology and they don't necessarily know which way to go and they get um, competing advice. So they'll go to one agency or they go to another consultant and they're experts in different things and they always are biased in those approaches. Mm. So for me, it's about educating my audience Mm. and creating a community around that to democratize that um, ability to, to utilize technology. Democratizing technology is, mm. is super key and, and it's not necessarily in the, in, in the uh, control of the experts, right? And, and I'm a big supporter of no-code platforms now like Bubble, right, for mm. this very reason. And it's, it's giving the power to... Um, of, of the ideators, right? The people that create the ideas and then allow them to create the MVP, right? Mm. Now, I, I bet you wish you could do this all yourself and perhaps you could potentially build your platform in something like a no-code um, solution, but you... Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. But, but that process of you trying to do that has educated you a hell of a lot, right? Mm. So you, you now know 
kind of what were the drawbacks are with something like no code um mm. i mean that for me that's why i'm i'm creating the content obviously there's a there's a um an uptick of um it's gonna get me more work right and that of course that's what a lot of people create content um but it's it's about also allowing my advice to um to to be spread um mm in a more kind of asynchronous manner rather than one-to-one mm. it's one-to-many right that's that's something mm. else that's super important and I, and I know that with you you know I've, I've looked at your videos and your your blogs and, and that's essentially what what it is for you as well you're allowing your knowledge to be spread to multiple people mm. and obviously this, SEO helps but then there's as well. this but then there's this magic trick yeah I, I don't care much, much for SEO um, we can talk about that later if you like okay. but it, it, it's um the magic trick i mean you mentioned very briefly like it helps me get more work and and uh um, what i'm finding increasingly is like the importance of being able to create something tangible that allows that goal to sit alongside everything else that you've just described around education building a community creating relationships democratizing yeah you know, the expertise and so on. And uh, not allowing those two things to be mutually exclusive. So really understanding, okay, well, if I do this, if I if I go out and do this, this altruistic thing, like, how does it, how does it actually enable that other than just going, oh, yeah, well, it does this and this, because they're both the same, you know, if, if you approach it in the right way, and you def- defluff, that thing because it can be seen as like well this is the fluffy bit and this is the hard tangible bit and hopefully if i and hopefully if the fluffy bit takes off um then somehow that will just make that bit work and and really really we need to stop thinking like that because um as soon as you start looking at how much you're spending on making this content or how much time you invest in creating this content and so on and so forth um, you don't want those two things competing with each other. And that's where so many people end up. And so many, even big, big organizations end up because, you know, they'll, this marketing manager will just be told to educate the audience and then they'll spend a year and a half doing that. And then they'll be like, so how many leads did you create? And it's like, oh, I thought my job was to educate the audience. And they're like, oh yeah, but and leads, you know, and it's, it gets, so, so making sure that these things aren't a conflict is kind of the thing. Um, and that's kind of, uh more and more over the last particularly the last year that's what i've been spending my time figuring out uh to the point where you know content is a isn't a marketing thing anymore like uh it's it's a sales enablement thing but it's also kind of like how do you how do you use it as a as a as a method and as an asset and so on in order to be like this is what my business looks like now this is what I want it to look like in six months. And this is what I want it to look like in 12 months. And this is how we're going to use content to do that. Um, and, you know, judging that from a marketing point of view, from a sales point of view, from a brand building point of view, from an employing point of view, all of those sorts of things. Um, and that's what I really think is getting, getting and becoming more and more exciting about content is how you look at all of the different business functions that you care about improving and then going, how do we use content in order to make that happen? And a lot of, and increasingly so, like those answers are becoming more obvious to even the biggest businesses. Um, uh, that's that's kind of, and 
yeah, I think that's just really important for us to start doing now as people, as individuals, as business owners, whatever, is starting to defluff that thing and start going, no, this isn't just a a, a nice thing to do and, and hopefully it, it makes the other thing, the other line go up. Um, you know, you need to figure out how do I get my business to where I want it to be by using content. Do you know what I mean? So, so let's dive into that a bit more, right? So a lot of people will be making podcasts. Podcasts have uh, skyrocketed over 2020. Um, now, a lot of people will say, I, I want to build a community. I want to you know, educate my audience, become the authority and expert in my area, but not necessarily understand how it best correlates with their business right because the two they might they might be focusing one audience for the podcast and their business actually focuses on a slightly different demographic now what's your have you got a framework or methodology to kind of think about how do you align that content mm. with you know your business model and what what you're trying to do with that mm. Yeah, well, I, I do have a framework <laughs> and um, uh, that's sort of become, that framework has now become the product of Content Club. And uh, I've, what I've tried to do over the last few years is just like, do think about two things. A, think about what I've done, like as a professional content strategist creator, both for myself and for the businesses that I've either worked for or with. Um, but then also like the nice thing about educating people is that you're learning on you're learning whilst you're teaching and the more and more like the night one of the good things about like public speaking and writing and all of this sort of stuff is it gives you the opportunity to figure out how to articulate the busy ideas in your head and to and particularly if you give yourself quite tight constraints around how you're delivering that content i'm a big champion of like creating is a part of this framework you know you create all of the constraints around your content strategy before you actually create any content. So you select like three or four content types that you're gonna work with. You build the templates that will allow you to build those bits of content. You design your schedule around how you're gonna produce and promote that content before you produce or promote any content. Because uh, then that gives you some positive constraints to play around with. It's a bit like, why is a TEDx talk 18 minutes? You know, like, because that's the, apparently the amount of time that it takes to really convey a meaningful idea without being too waffly about it. And, and, and so we built these, these tools and these templates and these, and these constraints around our content strategy so that when we go, okay, well, the idea that we need to convey is how do you build a prototype for an app or something like that? And you go, okay, well, I've got to write a blog post that's 800 words about it. I've got to record a webinar that's 30 minutes about it. And then I've got to try and convey this stuff in like half a dozen different Facebook posts. You know, and if you've got that decision laid out in front of you already, then you're forced to try and work out how to educate your audience in the most effective way, in the most open and accessible way through those, through those bits of content. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to figure out how to articulate this stuff. And once you've done it once, then you go, oh, okay, I've uncovered a repeatable message here. So the next time I go and go on this podcast or get interviewed by this or write a blog post, I know that that's a great way of explaining this thing um sorry i've sidetracked ever so slightly but like it's this this it's this sort of magic upshot of creating stuff is it enables you to learn how to describe and talk about and articulate those things even better the next time that you come to talk about them um so that's a big part of 
creating content is kind of like you know think about what what you get back from the creative process itself um and how you then reuse that in order to make the next thing better and the next thing better it's not just about learning how to make the lighting better on your podcast for the next one you know it's about learning how to i bet every time that you introduce a podcast you go oh i can probably shorten that up a bit and make that a bit more snappy oh i can definitely introduce myself better than that you know and it's the same applies for all of the knowledge that you've got so what might have used to have taken you an hour to something some complex thing that used to take you an hour to get across you can probably now do in 90 seconds or something like that and that's the power of kind of of, of, of having a really strong creative process behind something um, and then finally like you know there's, there's this your there's the commercial aspects of stuff which is you know your in terms of talking about a framework that gets you from a to b uh, i'm a big fan and the reason that i told you that i don't like seo uh, is because i've seen too many companies allow their marketing strategy to be entirely led by seo and it's such a big mistake. And it's such an expensive mistake as well. Um, and when someone's trying to go like, we want to be the market leaders, you know, showing up at the top of the Google doesn't make you a market leader. Like leading with your most innovative and exciting ideas makes you a market leader. And the tricky thing around that is that if you've got a genuinely unique and innovative idea, chances are that no one else is writing about that or talking about that. So what data have you got to ride on that that's what people want to hear about? You know, if you just constantly just try and create a better piece of content about the thing that your competitor has already created, like where's the innovation coming from there? Where's the genuinely new and interesting ideas coming from? And in my experience, the best and most innovative and the most uniquely uh, positioned ideas come from like you and your conversations with your customers or your prospects or your team and so on. And that's where I really like to find the best ideas for content. Like, you know, in the same reason that you do this podcast, you'll go back through the podcast, probably not from this one, because I'm not saying anything particularly interesting, but maybe other people you've interviewed and, and you'll find, oh, well, that was a really interesting bit of conversation. I learned something new there, or I'd uncovered something that, that, that I'd not thought of before. And now I want to sort of like package that up and turn it into a campaign of, of other content. And that's what I really like to do. So what I teach people with, and I've just been doing this, actually this week I've done it with two reasonable, reasonably sized, one, one marketing agency and one software company, where we're going, what are the questions? Like, what are the questions that our salespeople get? What are the questions that our customer services people get um, that, 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 that effectively enable us to sell more stuff or have better customer relationships? I like to break it into like customer acquisition, customer loyalty and customer advocacy like what are the questions that we get that enable those three things um uh, and then we build content around those questions and we build well-structured campaigns of content around those questions so we know that we have something that creates a conversation something that creates you know um uh, trust and something that creates like some level of discovery as well all around one question so we've got that journey for someone to go on to eventually have a conversation with us in real life about that question so if it's how do I build an MVP for my app, you know, that's that 25 minute webinar that's like going, okay, well, this is this is box A and this is box C and we draw a line here and then we build some like, and that's you showing them. But you need they need to go on some journey to get there first. So they need to hear about it somewhere in like a Facebook post or a, or a 30 second excerpt from a podcast or something where you demonstrate that you know something about this 
you're presenting it with confidence and with some joy as well so that they go okay this guy seems like the sort of person that I might enjoy talking to about these things and then they go a little bit further and they go okay well I've read the blog post and now I know that he also does know something about these things and then they watch the 25 minute thing and they're like yeah I think I need to have a conversation with this guy about these things you know and and it's about trying to understand that journey around that question and that question is usually going to come from you know your customers your prospects or whatever and if you know that a big part of your work is we need to build an mvp and you're like if that comes up every single time and it's a consistent topic in your conversations then of course that needs to be something you create content around uh, and the framework to commercializing that is understanding which bits of content within that campaign are there to help you get discovered which bits are there to build trust and which bits are there to create a conversation helpful <laughs> Tons of really useful, valuable content there. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of people are going to gain a lot of value from that. So no, I really appreciate you, you sharing that. And the thing is, a lot of people are going to see what it is, you know, when it comes to creating content and they see it's a big time drain, right? This must be probably one of your biggest questions. or so it's one of my biggest um, problems with content is that it just takes so long to create um so if we if we look at kind of like the roi factor can we put a number on that value of the content like if we're creating x amount of content do we know that it's going to pop up with some number at some day you just gotta be intentional about it so you have to have an idea of what good looks like like if i'm going to spend this much time on something or spend money on it or whatever you at least have to have an idea of what you want to get out of it at the end. Like there is no magic number, like there is no perfect ratio because that's different for everybody because what one customer might look like to you will look differently to me, like depending on how much time it takes to service that customer, depending on how much they're going to you're going to charge them, sorry, and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, and what might cost me a hundred pounds to create might cost you, 30 pounds to create because of your technique and your approach or whatever. Uh, but you know, what you might get from that customer might be significantly greater than what I would get from that customer. And, and so, so really it's more about uh, just understanding what your intention is. What would you like that to be? You know, what would you like to get out of this? Um, and I, and I think ultimately, um, I, I, I like to take people through this process, which is helping them understand what the what the sort of the mission is behind their content. Like, what are they looking to achieve for themselves through helping other people to achieve something else? Um, and then every time you come to creating a piece of content, you have to judge it against that thing. So if it's like, I want to be able to create a you know a, a community of content creators by helping them you know build more easily easy to uh, easy to understand content strategies or something like that like i now know that everyone that interacts with that content is somehow going to be relevant for x service or y service or b product um and 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 so so understanding what those things are and understanding the journeys between starting the piece of content all the way through to engaging with a product or a service. And then I can start to judge. It's not judging whether the content is performing, but the journey is performing. Uh, and not in like a funnel, click funnel, funnel hacker kind of way. It's more 
it's more nuanced than that. And hopefully it's more human than that as well. Um, it's more about just answering a specific question at a, at a very, in a very kind of like uh, uh, intentional sort of uh, level or depth. Um, so no, I think, sorry, I've taken a very long route to not even answering the question. And I think the answer is, unless you're some super company that is putting, you know, 10,000 pounds plus a month into Facebook adverts and you need to generate X amount of, you know, qualified leads out of the back of that so that sales can generate 25 million worth of revenue by the end of the year or something like that. Um, you don't need to be thinking like that. Um, and I like to encourage people to move away from calls to actions and move towards calls to conversations so that you're not just sort of going, click on my website, click on my website, download my thing, download my thing, fill in my form, fill in my form. Um, you're thinking much more about kind of like, if you're interested in this topic, I'd love to have a conversation with you about it send me a direct message, you know, leave a note in the comments, um, that sort of thing. And actually going, you know, if you're someone that only, you know, you're looking to sell consulting services or stuff like that in the same way that you and I are, like we're not looking for that level of ratio and ROI in that way. We're looking to try and meet the right kinds of people that want our help. Um, and we do that by making them feel like they're welcome in our conversations that we're creating within our content. So rather than trying to create that blog post that drives people to the newsletter that sends them an automated series of things, hoping that they might download another ebook. And then once they've bought the ebook, we then send them another thing saying, Hey, would you like a 30 minute phone call? You know, like where, where, where's, where's the, where's that person uh, opportunity to imagine what it's like to have a conversation with you in that journey whereas if they get to see 60 seconds worth of this podcast and they go chris is a nice dude he, he seems to come across well we'd do well on the phone together you know and then it's and then it's the content journey beyond that is is giving them that is allowing them to build enough trust with you to to feel comfortable you know getting on zoom sorry we don't have phone calls anymore do we we have zoom calls um, you know, getting on Zoom and, and having this conversation and exploring what working together might look like. That's the whole goal, particularly in this kind of like very visual podcast, video led content world, you know, it's just giving people the opportunity to imagine what it's like to work with you. And the very first, you know, stop there is imagining what it's like to have a conversation with you. And that's what I think we should be working to achieve. Like that's the thing that's the goal from content, not a number. I think basically what you're saying is that, you know, we should be making digital marketing more human and not, not about the analytics and actually it's about building relationships. Mm. And, and I think that's what's so great about video content or audio content is that you are creating a relationship with someone um, mm. because you can see them, you can see their mannerisms, you can see how they act, and you know that when you pick up a phone with that person or a Zoom call, you you know what they're going to like, what, what they're going to be like, and what kind of the typical responses that they're going to come out with. So we remarked well, on it just as we were starting this, like, you're yeah, like oh, I feel like I've watched so many of your videos that we just know each other already, and then <laughs> so you know, and thirty percent of the hard work is done, the getting to know each other bit. Do you know what I mean? Like we've done it already by just watching each other's stuff 
so you know how we behave and what we say and all that sort of thing is hopefully it's not too much of an ugly surprise do you know what i mean yeah, uh, yeah. I, I and i love that and then, and that's another reason why i'm doing this is because um it allows me to connect with my customers and my audience in a, in a more human way right and and i and i think you you pretty much you know hit the nail on the head with with what you just said um but saying that there must be a formula for the amount of touch points to give to your customer that they will then turn around and say you know what i'll have a chat with them or do you do you, do you honestly think it's like um love at first sight and they they see you and they're like yeah well we'll talk to that person well there was there used to be when i first got into the game there was this bit of data that was floating around was that like with the emergence of social media the average customer has to have 12 touch points with you before they'll buy anything mm-hmm. um you know a useful starting point perhaps however like so significantly uh it well it just depends on so many things do you know what i mean mm. like i am um, for example um i am looking to to book a particular uh speaker for, for tedx next year and um and i just saw a linkedin post of someone going oh i've just bought this book it's fab and I took one look at the post and was like, that looks like an interesting book. And I went on to Amazon and bought the book. And then three days later, I'm on the phone to the author going, you know, I'd like to, I'd like you to speak at TEDx Brighton next year, blah, 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 blah. You know, and now I've got a relationship with it, you know. And so A, I've bought the book. And then B, like, you know, he's now getting the thing that he's probably aiming to achieve with mm. the book anyway, which is speaking opportunities and so on. Like, where was, where were the touch points? You know, where are these imaginary touch points? I just looked at, this 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 woman's linkedin post and and paid 9.99 for the book and then you know do you know what I mean whereas you know but then there are there are there are probably a dozen other examples in my day-to-day life where that's not the case like um when does this podcast go out will it go out before or after christmas after after christmas great cool so i bought um my 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 girlfriend is a, is a northern lass and she constantly teases me for being a posh softy southerner um and around the corner from our house is a croquet lawn and uh i keep teasing her that i'm going to join the croquet club when lockdown's over and she thinks she thinks that's the uh, the uh, uh the epitome of my softy southernness so for christmas i bought her a croquet set and <laughs> but but i've bought several croquet sets and sent them back and so on because it's not quite right do you know what I mean and like so again like where are the how do you measure that journey? Like, mm. you know, how do you measure that? You know, if we hadn't, if I hadn't had this silly conversation with my partner about croquet, if we hadn't moved to a house where there's a croquet lawn around the corner, if like, if all of these things that led to me buying two croquet sets off Amazon, like, how do you measure that? You know, there was, you know, there isn't some kind of like thought leader on Amazon talking about the qualities of the croquet lifestyle or something and then i've suddenly like subscribed <laughs> to their newsletter and then like engaged with three of their retargeting adverts and then bought two croquet sets like it's not how it happened like, there's a whole conversation that's gone on completely outside of the view and control of the seller of the product and there's a great thing that someone yelled at me at a content club event a couple of years ago um that was when we were talking about conversational content 
And someone said something along the lines of like, you know, the job isn't to create a conversation, it's to join one. And I thought that was just brilliant. And it, and it, for me, like that, just one of those moments where like my, I, I changed onto a different train track, you know, and started going in a different direction with how I thought about something because it's absolutely right. And like one of the, one of the most sort of high profile jobs I've had, if you like, was to, I was working for a FTSE 100 company and they wanted me to build a community platform for them. Um, you know, and they had a six figure budget to build a forum basically. And, and I spent it gladly, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but, Ultimately, it was for a marketplace where the community already existed. It just existed on somebody else's platform. And it had probably and it had actually been built by the professional community, not by a brand, you know. So there were all of these things that existed, all of these spaces that existed where the community was coming together. But the brand was 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 hell bent on owning the community platform because then they could control how they sold within that platform and so on. And, you know, and that was like three, four, God, no, way more than that, five years ago, maybe at, at least, you know, and I would bet you they've not made that that six-figure budget back on that platform yet. Do you know what I mean? Because who are they engaging with? Like there's all, the community is already over here doing its thing. The conversations are already happening. Your job as the contributor to, to, to your industry and as the thought leader and as the content creator is to step into those conversations and provide something valuable to contribute in a meaningful way and then to become respected in the platform that's already been built for you as a useful contributor in that industry. So going off and trying to create a brand new platform and be like, hey guys, we're, we're doing the same thing that you're doing, that we're doing it over here. Definitely come <laughs> over here. And they're like, yeah, well, this place is cool. Like there's beer and pizza at this one. And they're like, oh, we might get some of that later. Like, you know, it's like, no way. And, and uh, so you have to, you have to understand where the conversation is already going on. And then you have to go and become a meaningful contributor to that conversation, not try and like bring people away from where they're already getting their value and where they're already getting enjoyment and education from. Um, and it can be so, so tempting as a brand to build a platform and build something that, that you're not solving a problem for your audience, you're solving a problem for you. I can't measure that, I can't see that, I can't sell for that. And it's not a good enough problem. And it's not a problem that your audience is experiencing either. Um, and I think as we start to talk about numbers and, and so on, like it's really important to understand that, really important. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really valuable. The, the fact that you, can demonstrate the randomness of a, a purchase, right? Instead of going through an authoritative, you know, croquet expert, you you basically saw, you know, these chain of events that led you to purchase that. And I guess in a lot of ways, life is a bit like that in general and business is a bit like that. It's opportunities are very random. Well, I guess what we're trying to do is give ourselves a fighting chance to be seen or heard and be available when the time comes that they need to make that purchase, right? Yes. And I'll give you an example is that I'm working with a, a bed retailer who are redoing all their IT systems. And a purchase of a mattress is every 10 years, mm. right? So how do they stay in the minds of people? 
for 10 years for that purchase then mm. to come around again. I mean, obviously, there there's, might be other purchases in the meantime, but it's about building that lifetime value with that. that when I first customer. started my agency, Yappa, one of our my very first clients was Eve Mattresses, um, long before they sort of IPO'd and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and and yeah, their goal was to build a community around the brand. And that was my job was to go in there and, and write the plan, write the strategy for that. And, uh, you know, and they very happily, you know, acknowledged in their meetings that, you know, traditionally people buy a mattress every seven years. But like, how do we build a lifestyle around that mattress? And how do we how do we turn a mattress into something more like, you know, a dining table or a light fitting that is not about it's the functionality is is uh is assumed to be fantastic and when we when we when we go beyond the functionality of the mattress we're now looking at like what what fashionable qualities what 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 um character what how does it reflect our personal character and so on in our own home you know and the nice all these mattresses have their color eve is yellow and all of the photographs are of it with no bed sheet on like somehow that works they all have no bed sheet on and it's like lovely beaming yellow around the edge of it or beaming blue or something like that um, and it creates an identity you know and then you can create obviously the upsell products like the lamp and the pajamas and the pillow and all of this sort of stuff and you build the yellow into it or the blue whatever um, but the success comes from building a lifestyle community around the product so that it's not just your mattress in your bedroom it's the mattress in your in your two spare rooms and it's your when you have a baby it's the cot mattress and then you've got to get the pillows and then you've got to get the bed linen and then you've got to buy all oh, now they actually sell a bed you know and then you've got to get the bed and then you know and the candles and all this sort of stuff and then like a couple of years go by or maybe even less than that and then you're like oh they've released a new one oh this one's got a a slightly different design on it you know and and they did this really cool thing where they would like partner with really famous artists and the 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 uh, creative director at eve had come from channel four um so he was like super well connected in regards to like famous artists and stuff and they would partner with these artists and get these mattresses made with like really cool much cooler than my art obviously um <laughs> but like you know and, and it'd be like and that would be like some like designer piece of mattress furniture and people just loved it because they bought into this brand you know the things that the brand stood for the lifestyle qualities that it stood for that its competitors perhaps didn't or what differentiated it and to the point where yeah they'll have these super customers that just fill their house with eve stuff you know and it's just in the same way that lots of us fill our house with ikea stuff or something you know um, and it's just, uh, you know, you can do this. <laughs> and yeah, there's some there's some number crunching to be done, like in terms of like, you know, retargeting your ads and finding the customers and see which ones buy and then getting them to buy another thing and all that sort of thing. And you can you can get sort of sciency and datary about that, but you know, you're also talking about, you know, you've got a lot of numbers to play with. And when you're turning over, like north of 100 200 million a year or something like those numbers really start to matter um but you know if you're the other end of that you're just making you're a carpenter and you make wooden bed frames for people and you can make two or three bed frames a month and that's your life 
know what I mean? And that, 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 that ticks all the boxes that you need it to tick all the way, you know, that's all the way down the other end of the spectrum. Um, you know, you're, you know, you can't on two or three sales a month, like you're not looking for, you know, uh, whatever, whatever percentage ROI on your Facebook ads or something like that. You're, you're looking to work out how you use content to turn your existing customers into advocates of your work and stuff. And that's quite different. And that's like trying to understand how do you, how do you enable your customers? How do you enable your community and, and, and champions around the brand and all of that sort of thing? So it's a slightly different, it's a, well, not a slightly different thing. It's a completely different game. And ultimately, it's about trying to understand the conversations you're trying to create and become a part of so that when people go, anyone look at anyone know anyone that makes beds that in the same way that you described, like you're the first person that people think of. Um, yeah. So again, a very long journey to a very simple answer. But people are really getting value from your, your thought process. So because then they can think the same as you. So. All right, I think we're pretty much coming to the end of this podcast. So let's talk about the your top three quick wins that will enable people to accelerate their content creation, uh, whether that's skills or the actual content itself in the shortest amount of time. Mm. What do you think those would be? First one is build templates. Um, so, like, for example, I have a, a pretty standard set of blogging templates. And particularly if I've got a big client piece of work on, like, and I need to write, you know, 10,000 words in a month or something like that worth of blog content. It's not going to happen unless I've templated my work. So, and I've got a really simple template I use, which for, for, for most of it, which is like what, why, and how. And it's like 20% what, 30% why, 50% how. And I know that if I write a good what heading and a why heading and a how heading and give myself a fixed word count within those headings, uh, you know, that's what allows me to produce lots of content very quickly. Um, so the first thing is to go, before you go and create your next piece of content, go and create templates for those bits of content. So that's thing number one. Uh, thing number two is to write a list of questions. Uh, ideally, think about it from the perspective of a person that you have a, a, a customer-like relationship with. Think of five questions that that customer might have. Uh, and then come up with five ways of answering each question. And this is a 10, 15 minute activity, five questions, five answers, potential answers under each heading. And then what you're looking at on your piece of paper is 25 potential ideas for content. If you then have three different types and templates to apply to each of those things, like that's a year's worth of content, no sweat. Um, and you can create, a, you know, you can create a year's worth of catalog content uh, in 15 minutes if you want to, if you follow that process. Um, and I would highly, highly recommend to anyone who's sitting there going, but I don't know what to create content around, about, do that. Imagine someone, write the questions, write the answers, look at it on a piece of paper, put it on your wall. And then the next time you come to create content, you pick a question, you pick a template and you go. Um, and, and that allows you to, to create content at 332 times faster than, than you ever have done before. Um, and then the very last thing, the number three, would be try to do less. I think much like everything else that we worry about, whether it's like eating more healthily, doing more exercise, looking like the person that we saw on Instagram this morning, all of this sort of stuff. When we get 
when we start getting a bit sort of stuck in on things like YouTube, LinkedIn and, and so on, like we can get really nervous about how little content we're creating. And then the reaction to that is to give ourselves some unobtainable goal, just like we would if we get we see lots of skinny people on the Internet and then we have some unobtainable goal to be skinny. Or like we see someone like running three marathons of day or something we're like oh god now i need to be unobtainably fit and it's exactly the same with content production because it's that and, and unfortunately like content production gets sort of like in some worlds gets thrown in the bucket with being like a millionaire in three weeks or something like that you know and and we have to definitely stop listening to those people but we also have to stop looking at those people and other people that we like and respect uh and, and think that that sets a bar for what we should be doing because, you know, I haven't created a piece of video content for months, you know, uh, but people are still talking about my video content. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's still considered useful and available, and it pops up enough, you know, for people to, to, to you know, to, 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 you know, and if I can get away with not creating a video for months, like, you know, everyone else certainly can, because I'm supposed to be waving the flag on this thing do you know what I mean and so I think have give yourself less to do because a you'll just feel happier because that's more achievable uh and and, and b like it's that's a good step towards not comparing yourself to everyone else all the time like you decide what's manageable you decide what you can what you can achieve and just be happy with that because as soon as you set that objective too high for yourself you'll fail to reach it and then you'll be demotivated to do anything else again. And then you'll just get into this like stupid spiral of getting angry at yourself because you didn't create content. And then another week goes by and you get even angry at yourself. And then you talk yourself out of doing anything ever again. And then as soon as you don't believe in your content, you stop believing in your business. As soon as you stop believing in your business, you stop believing in like your ideas. And as soon as you stop believing in your ideas, you stop believing in yourself. And, you know, that's a very, very, very dangerous slope to be, sliding down so um pick an unmanageable goal uh and and just do that and don't worry about other people creating loads of stuff and don't worry about what i do either like and if i tell you to create templates and you're like well, i don't have time to create templates don't create templates. just do your best <laughs> order in on life coaching now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, definitely, and you definitely don't want me to be your life coach. That would be a disaster. Like a real, <laughs> I promise you that would be a disaster. Well, I mean, two of those I do. Um, I definitely do. Um, the latter two. I, I, I had this thing that I had to create content every week, and then I was mm. like, I'd rather create better content and mm. do it when I feel in the zone and I can do it, and that's – um that's essentially what i'm doing now the first one though i never made a template so i tend to just take a, a question and then i write a load of bullet points about that question like stuff that i would find interesting and then i try and then form it into a, a story so um i think a template would actually make my life a hell of a lot easier. you do have templates because you sent me one so for example this podcast okay. is templated in the sense that you created an agenda for it but if you were to look at the different types of content that you create so like yeah. yeah i write blogs i create podcasts i create short videos and then you go okay well how do i create a how do i have a slightly more uniform approach to building those templates so that you 
so they're more reusable yeah and they become an asset in themselves um, so that you're not having to start from scratch every single time and um you know and i'm sure like with your videos that you create for example you've probably done enough now to know what you're kind of what you get how you're going to start how you're going to share something in, in the middle and how you're going to finish um and you know just getting that documented so that you can see it as a part of your content strategy and so on is a hugely beneficial piece of work to do because then when you decide that you want to create a slightly longer video or you want to move that to a different format or you want to move to a different platform like god forbid tiktok or something like that uh, you're not having to think about how am i going to create a video you just go okay well i just need to take the take the, the the elements of the template and change the time i'm going to spend or the word count or whatever and that's how you can easily scale up a 500 word blog into a 1500 word blog for example by just moving the sliders around on your template um, and you know as as i build out the poster works thing like you know that's going to be a big part of it for me as well is being able to go let's democratize uh content templates so that we can so that i'm not having to tell people to build them they can just pick one um and and i think you know all of these things are very useful tools and assets and just think about you know when people want to build a content strategy like because they think that's going to enable them to create content think about the content and the assets within the strategy that are going to enable you to do that. Topics, types, templates, three T's. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So if people want to go away and learn uh, some more about content creation, what resources would you recommend? Uh, if you go to contentclub.io or learn.cc.works, um, you can access the content club framework that I mentioned earlier for free, 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 free. Um, uh, and um uh and if you want to join our content club facebook group that's a nice way to sort of learn from others as well um uh, which is just content club with a little rocket on the end uh, on facebook uh, easy to find um, and those would be my number one resources to go to for learning more about content <laughs> of course they would be and how can people connect with you if they want to chat with you a bit more about what, what it is you uh, LinkedIn is my social network of choice. So you can look for Toby with a little rocket on the end. Toby Moore on LinkedIn. Great. Thanks, Toby. Really appreciate your time on this. Um, I found this incredibly useful and I'm sure a lot of people uh, listening to this would find it useful too. So thank you. Great. Thank you, Bruce. Toby clearly knows a lot about creating content and I loved his croquet analogy. It's so true. But what did you think of Toby's quick wins? Quick win number one, build templates for your content before creating them. So you can just pick a template off the shelf and get going. Quick win number two, for content ideas, write lots of questions from the perspective of a person and combine them with a template. Quick win number three, try to do less. Don't hold yourself to high standards and create content when you can. But what was your favourite bit of the show? Tell me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok or YouTube where you can find me with at Hair Digital. And don't forget, you can also watch the show on YouTube or listen on all major podcast platforms including Apple and Spotify. 
And remember, I'm giving away 10 of my favorite business books, including Lean Startup and Business Model Generation to one lucky winner. And these are great for all levels of skill, from a CEO to a founder. And to enter, all you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, then scroll to the bottom and leave a review. And it doesn't have to be detailed. You can just say that you love this podcast. Then email quickwinceo at hair.digital with a copy of your review. Anyway, thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm your Quick Win CEO, signing out.